Have fun. You're gonna have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, man. This is a team effort. Ten, five, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball! Happy St. Paddy's Day, sports movie maniacs, and thank you for downloading the 99th hard serve of Scoring at the Movies, the every second Thursday podcast that tries to figure out what's good and what's not so good about sports films. Here's your very prompt warning that we spoil, so don't get mad at us for wrecking King Richard. I'm the peoples who don't usually fail to plan because I don't plan to fail, although I fail a lot considering I'm such a planner. Ryan Ellis. And here's the friendly but difficult tennis dad who would rather have his loved ones practice than play, the princely Chris Gregorio, Former lord. Former lord. Not a king, though. I know. I was wondering if you're going to give me my appropriate title, given that we're talking about King Richard today. But thank you, Ryan. It took me a little while longer to get here than I expected today because I got my ass kicked just out front of your house by the local street thugs. But uh, Street toughs? Yeah. Street toughs? <laughs> they were eyeballing your dog, Tilly, and catcalling her, so I just confronted them, and it just went badly for me. But I feel like I won them over, and they might just defend your recording studio going forward to They're ensure your success. Big <laughs> dog fan slash tennis fans. Yes, exactly. <laughs> One of the many things in this movie that doesn't make a ton of sense is why those guys go from beating on him, could have killed him, to, you're cool. Because yeah. he finds out that Venus and Serena are doing well in their tournaments as these young girls. I guess probably 10 and 11 at that point. But it's never fully explained that that's why. It would be weird if that was why. But okay. We have to assume they're just tennis fans. One of the things that's going to be difficult for this movie is the fact that I think the broad strokes of it are pretty true to life. Right? Probably. So you can't really say, well, it doesn't make sense that the street thugs in the area started defending the cores. Because street toughs. Street toughs. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know that to be true. But what you're right about is they don't really explain why all of a sudden they're on board. They go from being pains in Richard Williams's ass to, yeah, we're going to defend the court against anybody else that comes to try to give you trouble. And I'm sure at some point in there, something happened. Because like you said, I find it hard to believe that they're going to the local girls' junior tennis tournaments to watch Venus and Serena play. But maybe the grapevine got down to them that these girls were up-and-coming potential tennis stars and there was some level of local pride in that. Sure, I would buy that, but then the movie never explains it. Like you said, they go from beating on him one scene to almost two minutes later, now they're driving up and saying, we got your back, man. Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I was looking up some things about the real people, Serena and Venus and their father and the other parts of the family, during the film. Bev and I watched this with you. We haven't seen a movie right. together. You and I haven't in a long time, and the three of us have never watched. That's not true. Bev has watched movies with us before. But she watched this because we needed to see it for the Oscars, for our own Oscars preview show that'll come up in four days. It'll get posted <laughs> from this podcast. We've been talking about product placement before starting this record. There's <laughs> cross-branding. Cross-branding for you. So anyway, we needed to see it. She and I did for the Oscars and everything, and then you and I decided to watch it for number 99 here. Right. But we definitely were ripping on it a lot. I think you two liked it less than I did. Not that I liked it very much either. But I was looking up facts and figures about the real people. And I don't think the movie makes it very clear, but I told you guys early on, the other three girls are Richard's stepdaughters. Right. Maybe there's some dialogue that makes it really clear later on, but I'm not so sure so. about that. And also, her nickname is Brandy, the mother, Ingenue yes. Alice. Her real name is Oracine. And you hear Rick Macy, John Bernthal's character, call her Oracine, I think every time he ever talks to her. Right. But Richard and other people call her Brandy. 
That nickname and her real name are not connected at all. So if you didn't know that, and I had IMDb open like I do right now to see that, and I told you both that as well, you'd be confused, wouldn't you? Yeah. Who's he talking about? Who is Brandy now? There is a lot about the script writing decisions in this movie that don't make a lot of sense. You can have pet names. You can have whatever, right? The girls have nicknames. Like Venus is being called Junior throughout the movie by her father, and mm-hmm. it's never really explained why she's Junior to him. And Serena's, I think they say Mika, and Mika. I looked that up as well, her middle name, actual middle or name. Meek. I think Meek is what they okay, call it. Okay, her middle name is Jamika. Right, so that makes sense. Once you understand it, Venus and Orsine's nicknames, you don't really understand it. And when you have various characters calling the same person different things with not even once a little bit of explanation, like mm-hmm. even if Richard maybe had a line of dialogue with his wife where they're fighting or something, right? And he says, Brandy, she doesn't respond. He gets upset, so he decides to call her by her actual name. There you go. Or a scene, right? And then Mm -hmm. as a viewer, you can connect the dots a little bit, but you're right. There are various points where you're looking things up because I think all three of us are watching it and not fully understanding who was being referenced in what situation. Well, even with the five daughters, so all of those are Brandy, Orisine's daughters, and Venus and Serena are Richard's daughters. Right. But Bev pointed out that, I don't remember which name was which, either Lindrea or Isha, looks younger than Serena and Venus. I think that was Isha. But she's got to be older because Richard met Orisine, Brandy, and then had two other girls with her. That's right. So that's weird casting as well. Maybe she's just shorter and that's why she looks younger. Venus and Serena, pretty well cast, actually. I guess it's Sania Sidney's how you say her name. She's Venus. And Demi Singleton plays Serena. Sania is new to playing tennis in this, but it's pretty convincing. So good work on her. Good on her, I should say, to... Practice so much. She was in Hidden Figures, Hidden Figures, and also Fences, which has a baseball theme, the Denzel film. Right. And Singleton's only made two movies now, but it's also been in The Godfather of Harlem on TV. I don't know that show. But they're pretty convincing as the real-life people the Williamses would grow to become. But yes, it's even confusing in the sense of, why is one daughter who would have to be from before look younger than the two star daughters? And the biggest criticism of the family, well, there may be a lot of criticisms, the biggest one, though, is that I said Little Women during the screening. Bab was in the room a minute ago before we started recording saying, what'd she call them again? The Waltons? The Von Traps. The Von Traps. Just permanently happy. Richard is not abusive in the usual sense at all, but the daughters are always happy. There's yeah. never really any jealousy between Venus and Serena. When Venus is picked over Serena, she is older. At that point, she was probably better. But when the Paul Cohen character, Tony Goldwyn, picks her, I can only coach one of them, Maybe there's supposed to be a scene where, oh, it's not fair. But these daughters, and that's cool they're not. They're obviously very smart people, head-on-the-shoulders type young girls. But shouldn't she be a little bit jealous? Well, the movie also knows the thing that we know, but they couldn't have known that. Richard predicted it, but nobody could have known that. All these grand proclamations, you'll be the two greatest tennis players of all time. And then he has a scene with Serena a little later on. Doesn't he say, you're going to be the greatest tennis player of all time? And she probably is. And you could predict that. You can want that. But you didn't know that. But the movie does. (laughs) So their family is odd. I like them. The five daughters are pretty good actors, especially the two Williamses, the actors who play them. Anjanou Ellis is pretty good as the wife. We had just said, we had paused for a break, and I told you guys she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And you both were saying, why? And I said, she must have a big scene. I bet there's a fight or there's tears coming up soon. It was the next scene, just coincidentally, where they had a fight, Richard and Orisine, and she cries. Yeah. That was a good scene. We were just agreeing that her performance was fine, but didn't understand why it was Oscar-worthy. And then, Well, she isn't Ellis, sir. We also agreed that just based on the name alone, she should be nominated. <laughs> Almost all of what you touched on, to me, it always comes back to all of these scripting decisions. Because we don't know, other than Serena and Venus, 
their half-sisters, what they look like. And I just mean in terms of physicality, because we know Venus is a tall woman. She's like 6'1 or 6'2. Presumably she was a tall girl at that age too. So to have her physically larger than some of her older half-sisters would be fine. Mm. But again, the movie never makes any attempt to really explain the relationship between Venus and Serena and their three half-sisters. Like you said, they don't even really explain that they are half-sisters. You're just sort of left to like puzzle out if you can. I don't even think you could explicitly from what the movie tells you. You might say that's irrelevant, but this is a family movie. It's all about this fivesome, yeah. Wait, this sevensome. So that is relevant. It is relevant because some of the drama that's meant to be built in the <laughs> script is the parenting that is happening for the entire family, right? We see child services or local sheriff get called. Yes, I know we're focusing on Venus and Serena, but like you said, this is a family movie and the entire family is involved in most of it, if not, I guess it's not all of it, but in most of it. So understanding at least the relationships, and it doesn't have to be extensive, but at least give us some sense of who these people are. We know that the eldest daughter is the eldest daughter because she's the only one who is graduating from high school. She's the valedictorian. Fine. Tundi, right? Doesn't go with them to Florida, at least at first. Right. She shows up later, but doesn't go with them because we're told she's graduating. But then the other two, like you said, they're physically not terribly large. So we were questioning, where is that relationship fall there? The fact that they are the youngest sisters can play into it in a number of different ways beyond just Richard and Brandy's parenting style because you're talking about supporting siblings, right? And if you're older, especially at that age when Venus and Serena are 10 and 11 or later on maybe 13, 14, if you have older siblings, they're more likely to be willing to go out and cheer you on and support you in a more meaningful way than if you're a younger sibling, your eight or seven-year-old kid sister is getting bored watching you play tennis 18 times a week. What about me, daddy? Well, stepdaddy and mommy, for that matter. Yeah. I come back to questioning a lot of the screenwriting decisions. Why isn't there some effort made to explain the familial circumstances here? But I wonder if it's the screenwriter's understanding that Richard is not a very sympathetic guy. And like mm. you said, we'll certainly delve into the details of his parenting style and things like that. The recurring question that you both had, especially you, who do you root for in this movie? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. The girls, of course. Of course. But the main character, the name of the movie is Richard. I think Bev and I both, like you said, struggled with rooting for him a little bit more than you did, maybe. Not much more. Not much Just a little more. bit more. Yeah. But I think the movie is trying to smooth out some of the rougher edges of Richard's history or behaviors because... The more you learn about the guy, the harder it is to root for him, even beyond the way he behaves in the movie. He has five kids from a previous marriage right. before marrying That's Brandy. That's mentioned during the fight. Well, the other kids. The other yeah, The son is explicitly mentioned, not in any great detail, but the only reference we get to that at all is during the big fight when she says, basically, the eldest son from his previous marriage, who at this point would have probably been in his 20s, I think, based on the timing of it, okay. showed up at their house and, as Brandy says... Oh, it's my son. He found me. That's basically it. So we know Richard has a kid or kids from a previous marriage. But that he the, ditched. That he ditched, yeah. And when they were young, too. Less than eight. There was five of them. All of them less than eight. There was five of them. And he just sort of, I'm going to the store for milk and vanished kind of thing, <laughs> right? And then I think subsequently he's post the time frame of this movie anyway. Divorced from Brandy, married another woman, has other kids. True. But one of the things you read if you delve into the backstory of Richard and the Williams families that he's had more broadly is that even beyond what we know, if you read interviews from his first children, they say that they've been told by their mother, by people that know Richard, that there's like 15 to 19 half-siblings in existence. That's prolific. Yeah, he's prolific. And you hope that he's supporting these children because I don't care how many kids you have. What drives me nuts is the fact that we know that he up and bailed on kids. 
It's hard to root for a guy generally, if you know that about them. But in this movie, what the movie is asking you to do is root for a man who behaves pretty abrasively. I want to say pretty badly, but I guess that can be up to your interpretation of how he deals with certain circumstances in his life. But he's abrasive to everybody around him constantly and abusive towards the girls in the way that he treats them. Not straight up physically abusive, but abusive in other ways that we'll delve into. So what the movie's asking you to do is say, look past your assumptions about this guy and understand why he's doing what he's doing and the dreams he has for his girls and look at how they succeed and then you can root for him. But the more you learn about what he's done, it makes it that much harder. So I feel like the movie's trying to gloss over it, maybe just touch on it very briefly to say that we did. Let's move past it Mm -hmm. because... How do you root for this guy knowing that he bailed on five other kids? You and Bev, maybe more so her, have the theory. I think you're both right, actually, maybe somewhat. That Serena and Venus, big part of the movie, but not the star of their own movie. It's not named for them, despite the fact Serena especially, but Venus too. Mm -hmm. Remarkably famous and successful people in their sport. One of them is probably indisputably at this point the greatest female tennis player of all time. One of the greatest athletes of any type, man, woman, whatever, of all time. And you guys are speculating that maybe the sisters in real life said, it matters that much to him. We don't really care. It's going to tell our story well. They come off extremely well, always. They're also always little girls. Even though they've aged three years, it's still the same two actresses. I let that go. Brandy's hairstyle changes more to what you see online. You click on her on Wikipedia. There's a picture of her with short, blonde, what do you call those, cornrows or something like that? It's just sort of like tight curls, I think. Okay. And Ingenue Ellis later on does look like that. She looks a lot like her, actually, at that point. She does, yeah. And the girls have different hairstyles, but otherwise they look exactly the same. Fine. You had to train these young people to play tennis and be believable actors, because they are actors first. Yes. And I don't really care that they haven't aged three years, but they haven't. They're executive producers. Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife, an executive producer. Will Smith himself is a producer on this movie. It's his project, I guess, more than anyone else. He won the SAG not long ago. He's nominated for his third Oscar, well, four, because he got the producing nomination, too, for Best Picture for this. Mm -hmm. But his third acting nomination, all three times playing real-life people, by the way. Muhammad Ali, the guy in Pursuit of Happiness, Chris Gardner, I think is his name, and now Richard Williams. But maybe that theory is correct. It should have been about them, but they said, it doesn't matter that much to us. It probably does to him, so let it be about him. But when I first even heard about this movie, I thought, that's a little bit flawed, that that's your premise. Which is why I'm saying that the father of two of the greatest tennis players in history was released three months ago. This is the shortest turnaround of all time for us. We're doing a movie that's so timely because the Oscars are the 27th. We post this on the 17th, St. Patrick's Day. So three months ago by Warner Brothers on November 19th, 2021, the never-ending pandemic has not helped, nor did releasing on HBO Max at the same time they put in theaters. But King Ricky has not succeeded on the big screen. It'll still get different box office numbers probably because the year's not really over. Movies are still making money. Look at Spider-Man still making money as we record this. So it is 57th at the box office from last year. F9 is number five, sports movie-ish. Space Jam 2, 18th. Didn't like that one. Don't want to cover it, but they are sports movies. We'll talk about it at some point in the future. I'm almost certain. (laughs) Oh, God. I'll be ripping. I'll be ripping. Well, you and me both. You're probably not going to be that shocked about this because of all the raves, but the critical numbers are great. 90% of critics on Rotten Tomatoes like this movie and 98% of audiences, so almost everybody. The average for the critics was 7.6 out of 10, 271 reviews. Wow. That's extraordinary if we liked the movie. I don't think any of us hated this movie. We're not here saying that this was a total piece of garbage. There are certainly things about it that were good. I think the tennis action was pretty great. Yeah, that's a fair comment. Because you did mention earlier that the two lead actresses, they're actors, first and foremost, even if their credits are reasonably limited. But they are actors. They're not athletes. I thought the tennis action, by and large, was pretty good to great. And this is a movie with a ton of it in it. 
we often talk about the depiction of the sport and how much of the sport is actually in the movie. And a surprising amount of the time, even if the concept of a sports movie revolves around a sport, actually seeing the sport being played is a very small part of the movie, which is not the case here. We see a ton of tennis Mm -hmm. either being practiced or played. If somebody said to me that it's a great depiction of tennis being played, at least at the junior level, sure, why not? I thought that was great. Even the match against the pros near the end of the movie that young Venus is playing, I thought that was pretty great, too. Good casting, by the way, of Arantxa Sanchez Vicario. Very good. And Jennifer Capriati. And I think you see Gabriella Sabatini briefly. We see Pete Sampras. You right. kind of yeah. see McEnroe. Mm-hmm. Those and actors look pretty much like those people. Close-ish. I thought the female tennis players that were cast looked the part more than mm-hmm. the Sampras-McEnroe analogs go. But I did appreciate the fact that even in a brief shot of Sampras and McEnroe practicing together, you still get McEnroe throwing a little fit, yep. in fit them, yep. which was pretty it's Good. practice, John. Calm down. Yeah. You touched on the production of this movie, and you touched on Will Smith's involvement, and, of course, the awards he won. I'm pretty sure in past movies we've talked about Will Smith specifically with respect to his charisma and screen presence. We've covered him twice before. Recently. Bagger, Bagger Vance. Legend of Bagger Vance was last year, not even a year ago. Yeah. And then we did Ali late last year. So it hasn't even been a year. We've done three of his sports films. I think Ali was the movie where we talked about a guy as charismatic as Will Smith. So is, toned down. Was so toned down, especially given that Ali was also an incredibly charismatic man. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, in this movie, I don't think we're meant to believe that Richard Williams is particularly charismatic. No. He's definitely a man of specific and forceful belief. Strong will, definitely. Strong will, for sure. So I get that Will Smith's got to tone his performance down, but still, I didn't love their performance. I thought it was fine. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it. So you would be nominated for an Oscar then. And he might win because he won the SAG. It wouldn't surprise me if he did because he's a guy with a lot of respectable credits to his name at this point and feels like the Oscars at various points are more crediting your body of work as an actor and less the specific role. Career achievement award sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. So if you won, I would guess it would be at least in part due to that sort of career achievement angle of it because I feel like there's better performances out there this year than what we saw out of King Richard. I thought he was better in Bagger Vance, frankly. I liked him in Bagger Vance a lot. I did too. And Ali wasn't a great movie, but I thought he did a terrific job playing. thought he did a better job. We had criticisms of the performance in Ali, too, but I thought that was a better performance and a better interpretation of the man, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, than Mm. I would argue this performance was. But Another sports movie we might cover of his one day is Concussion. It's about football concussions. He plays a doctor, another real-life character. When we feel like covering a real uplifting movie, yes. we'll talk about concussions. Doesn't it start out with the one guy killing himself? The Some, Mike Webster, that. I think is his name? Yeah. Well, we talked about the award nominations. It has six at the Oscars, and it might win at least one or two of these. So Best Picture, Smith for Actor, Anjanou Ellis for Supporting Actress, the script that you didn't like very much, and I guess I didn't either, the editing, and the song by Beyonce, and I didn't see somebody else anyway, <laughs> Be Alive is nominated as well. That's the song that plays during the end credits. And I think we all agree, the three of us, yourself, Bev, and I, that the song is great, and having it nominated made a lot of sense. I feel like this is another example of some really strange decisions made in less screenwriting in this case, but more laying out the director's vision of the movie and the pre-shots and all that kind of stuff. And I think you cited Frozen as a great example of where you have a banger of a song, but it's integral to the movie relevant, itself. Yeah, it's in relevant. The movie. And that, I think, is a telling sign of the thought that went into the production of the movies. When you can integrate a great song in a meaningful way into the movie. And I know Bev cited A Star is Born as another great example mm-hmm. of that. You shallow song, yeah. Shallow. And you talked about The Lion King did that more than once. 
So but this is basically tacked on. Yeah, it's basically, okay, end credits with a montage of photos. One of my biggest life. pet peeves. I've said it many times in podcasts with Bev. I hate that. Although this song, I think, plays during the stuff where we see the real people doing things. and we see It is, yeah. So that's a little more relevant. But I always hate it when it's a song that's playing and it gets rewarded with Oscar nominations or whatever nominations. But nobody even heard it because they're already outside in the parking lot. They left. Most yep. people leave as soon as the credits start. Maybe not this one because you've got visuals still. The story's not fully done being told. We don't care about the caterer and the painter and the drivers. <laughs> and most people leave before those things come up. So this one's a little more relevant, but I've been complaining about that for years. I think it's dumb when something that isn't relevant to the movie at all, except for a soundtrack opportunity and to make money and to get Beyonce to be part of your movie because she's Beyonce. She's a friend of Serena Williams, right? If not, oh, makes sense. Well, I don't know. I think. I guess you could argue that audiences are a little bit more conditioned to hang out longer because of specifically Marvel and the whole mid and okay, post credit. Right. But I think that's also, as an audience expectation goes, if you're watching a superhero movie, fine. You kind of expect to hang out a little bit longer because maybe they've tacked something on. But a character study, not so much. Not so much. It would bother me less if A, it wasn't such a good song that was nominated for an Oscar because that shines a spotlight on it. But B, there's so many opportunities to do that. Why not have it playing during the first professional match that Venus is playing? Even if it's not the whole song, give us like a snippet of it and then play the whole thing in the do that too. end credits. Well, the director, probably a name most people wouldn't know, Ronaldo Marcus Green, just his third movie. He did Joe Bell or Good Joe Bell in some circles just last year. It's on Prime, I believe. That's how I saw it a few months Never ago. Never heard of it. Mark Wahlberg starred in that. And that's also based on a real person. So he's new to filmmaking. He is black. Will Smith, I assumed, hired him. This feels like it's Will Smith's movie. I'm not saying Ronaldo Marcus Green isn't a capable director. Maybe he'll be a great one one day. But it feels like it's truly Will Smith's movie because he yeah. is a producer. And big stars have done this before, where you sometimes even have a fairly big-name director, not so much this guy, and it's still the star's movie. The writer's new to making movies, too. Green's made a few, but Zach Balin, this is the first time he's ever written anything. But he also wrote Creed Three, which is being made. It's in oh, pre-production, really? or maybe it's in production by now. Michael B. Jordan is directing that one. So we said when we did Creed 2, they shouldn't do any more. But if they're going to let him have a shot at directing it, and obviously he's in it again, and we hope that Stallone's arc is done as it should be, then fine. I do wonder what the storyline will be. He's got to solve some sort of geopolitical crisis through the power of boxing. Will's co-producers, incidentally, were Tim and Trevor White. They've done other biographical films like LBJ with Woody Harrelson and The Post. And I said before, Will's a producer. He also was involved in a movie we could do, we probably never will, the remake of The Karate Kid. His son was in that, so he was a producer on that. Ugh. The cameraman, Robert Ellswit, has worked a lot with PTA. The movie looks pretty good. Pamela Martin, the editor, she also cut The Fighter and Battle of the Sexes. Oh, really? The other tennis movie we've covered. So you've got some pedigreed people behind the camera. And I just wonder if maybe this is truly a movie where, yes, Green's our director. But he didn't really direct the movie. Yeah, I think a lot of the questions that we all have about this movie would probably be answered if we knew how much influence the director versus the Smiths, for instance, had over the production. And even the Williams sisters. Even the Williams. But I also wonder how much influence Richard had, whether... He must have. Whether directly or through his daughters. Why not have this movie be through the lens of Venus and Serena? And you talked about our theory that this was to appease Richard, and if you're Serena Williams particularly, because she's been successful and beyond tennis she's rich as all get out what does she care maybe she doesn't but i think that is the primary flaw of this movie and i think once you go down this road of making it focus on richard even if you're really telling the story of venus and serena the fact that he is a protagonist 
right away you've set yourself down a path that is almost impossible to come back from in a satisfying way, I think. So if we're focusing on Richard. Okay. Let me do the nutshell to lead you into this then. Yes, go. But I have to prime you first. <laughs> have you seen Shakespeare in Love? <laughs> I saw it in the theater. Okay. It may be an old line from, I don't know, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, but I always attribute it to Shakespeare in Love because it's one of my favorite moments in that very funny movie. The guy who plays the nurse, so Juliet's nurse, mm-hmm. is talking to a one at the bar. All of them have gone to the bar afterwards. She asks him, so what's this play about? Well, there's this nurse. <laughs> Right, because everything's about you, even if you're just a small part of the movie. The nutshell for King Richard is, well, there's this dad. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, from the perspective of anybody in a given dramatic production, you're always the focus of that production, regardless of how small your Mm -hmm. part is. And obviously, in this case, Richard was a very big influence. He was, with respect, absolutely, yes. But again, it's not his life that's really interesting. It's theirs. So... I went into this dubious about the approach being taken, because even if the dad is this character that is overbearing, I already described him as abrasive, he's psychologically abusive towards the girls, unintentionally, I would guess, but nonetheless, the way he behaves sometimes, I think, has that effect. And in fact, the Macy character, right, the John Bernthal character at one point even says as... Ned Flanders? Ned Flanders, yeah. I think it was him. Maybe it was Paul He's Cohen. He's so nice. And he's a mustache. That's why yeah. I called him Ned Flanders. He is very nice. Danny Gummit is about as right. mean as he gets. But at one point, they even call out Richard because of the way he pushes the girls in one direction and then pulls them back and says, I want them to have a childhood. But at the same time, he's yo-yoing them into the tennis world and out again. And he's called out on that. You can have Will Smith portraying this man in a very prominent role within the production But tell me a little bit more about how this is affecting the girls as they develop in the tennis world. Regardless of whether you're talking about Venus or Serena or their half-sisters, they're just always smiling, laughing. That's all. Mm -hmm. Period. That's the entirety of it. It doesn't feel real. Whenever you have five siblings, girls or boys, doesn't matter, five teenage siblings, essentially, at one point, too. Around the same age, yeah. They're going to fight. You're going to fight with your parents. There's Mm going to be tears. There's going to be anger. And we get none of that. And when you have a father behaving this way... I would argue this probably happened more often than in the average household. Mm. And maybe the end goal was reached and all is well. And they have a very healthy relationship. Fine. But I'm sure there was discontent and anger and tears in there somewhere. Players this competitive. So forgetting the other three sisters for a minute here. Mm -hmm. Even that young, when they've been pushed by their dad, not whiplash-esque. I bring that movie up a lot because it may not have been a sports movie, but it would have fit into what you and I talk about because it is a tough coach. Really, he may be a music teacher, but he's a tough coach, effectively. And physically tough. That isn't the best approach for some people. It might be for others. Richard pushing these girls is not like Fletcher and Whiplash, but he's pushing them pretty hard. Takes them out in a downpour to play tennis. I guess the idea being, here's a new thing to experience. These heavy, soggy balls. You may have to play in rain one day. But again, they accept all of it. They don't seem to push back against that, which means they love doing this, which means they're competitive and they're obviously very talented. So if that's the case, it's great that Venus and Serena are supportive of each other, and maybe they always were. But there's never a point where the younger sister says, I might be better than you. In the movie, there isn't. She starts playing against the father's, not really against his wishes, but she doesn't tell him that she is. We see a scene where she's training with Orsine at one point when it's just Venus and Richard and Paul at Paul's place. 
cross-cutting there. Probably one of the reasons why the movie's nominated for editing is things like that, and also shooting a sports movie effectively. And as we said, the sports action is quite well done here. I also commented to the two of you about how much I love the sound design, that heavy thwack sound when you hit a tennis ball, and the way they shot it, whether it's real or if it's a digital ball, maybe. That would be pretty expensive to do as much as they would have to. That would be a lot of it. The way the ball that these people are so good at just barely clears the net with that topspin and just the power of that, which of course is what tennis players do, but to depict that in a movie is pretty well done, as they do here. But anyway, just the competitiveness of these two, they don't really ever seem to have it. It's great you're supportive of your older or younger sister. But if you've been pushed like this, then there's got to be part of you that pushes back against your dad or other coaches. Rick doesn't seem to ever be anything other than supportive. He's Ned Flanders. Super. Great. Awesome. Yeah. So maybe they're whitewashing their own whitewashing their own story. It wouldn't surprise me. Meaning the Williamses wanted it this way, regardless of Richard. For dramatic purposes and for believability, I just feel like it would have been more interesting if we saw it through the eyes of, I guess it would have to be particularly Venus, Mm -hmm. because this is really her movie more so than Serena's, just as the older daughter. Especially in the second half of this long movie. Yeah. Maybe they were very supportive of one another. I know they are apparently quite close. They always have been, as adults at least, but... You're right. There would have been competitiveness in there, and I'm sure there were moments when they did battle each other. It'd be productive if there was. It'd be good if there was. Yeah, exactly. Internal competition within the family is always good, even if you're not playing tournaments externally. They're fired up and competitive with one another, but they're still well-adjusted enough, even at that young age, to understand that we've got to support one another through this. Two young African-American girls trying to break into professional tennis was an extreme rarity, right? Mm -hmm. So it really was this family almost against the tennis institution. And racism comes up here and there, but it's not a big focus of the film. What was the club that they met the agency at, right? That scene where Richard farts in the face of the agent. Yeah, Dylan McDermott's one of the guys. He had a surprisingly small role Mm -hmm. in this. I thought for sure he was going to come back later. Right, he's only got that one scene. Kevin Dunn has only one scene. He's been in other movies we've covered, including Warrior and Draft Day. And he's also in Little Big League, which I guess we'll cover at some point. We haven't yet. I thought Kevin Dunn would be more relevant in this movie. And it's not that he's not relevant, but he's got one scene and out. And he's also a truth teller to Richard who's discouraged and depressed after he talks to the dude. It's almost like this isn't going to happen for you yeah. and your daughters. So Richard spits in their face and... From the perspective of portraying what they undoubtedly experienced at some point coming up through the tennis circuits. And something like tennis especially. Yeah. I mean, An elitist it, white sport most of the time. It had to have been a similar experience to what Tiger Woods and his father experienced in the golf world. So I'm sure they experienced all kinds of racism, whether unconscious or conscious. But the only time that I can recall in a way the movie really talking about that, or at least trying to, was when the agent says to Richard, it's impressive what you've done with these girls to this point. And then Richard flies off the handle. Reads racism into that. Why is it impressive? Why is it impressive? Any time that you, as a not-professional tennis coach, have managed to bring your daughters effectively to the pinnacle of the sport in their age group, that's impressive. You no, haven't had any. No what color they are? Yeah, you haven't had any professional assistance really at this point. You've cobbled together a plan and you've seen it through, and it's worked thus far. Of course, there's been a history of Richard experiencing racism, and we hear stories from his youth in Louisiana specifically about right. racism. But even in the more modern era in California and the Compton area, sure, he would have experienced all kinds of racism. I just wish in that moment, if the movie wanted us to experience that as representative of what the Williams sisters experienced growing up in terms of the racist experience, be a little bit more explicit about it, or at the very least, have Richard be less of an ass about it. He really does fly off the handle way more than that single comment warranted. Dylan McDermott is playing George MacArthur. Maybe that's a real person, I don't know. But that comment could be read as saying, I know the system's racist and you've risen above it. You and your sister, also your good, sisters, yeah. your daughters have risen above it. 
That's a compliment. That's not an insult. I think that's a good interpretation as well. You could have just worded it slightly differently so that it was not necessarily just like an overt racist statement, but it was more clearly, it was impressive because you're black rather than Richard interpreting in a specific way. But as we've already talked about, we interpreted it in two different ways mm-hmm. that are more complimentary than racist. Now, granted, we're two middle-aged white guys interpreting that statement. So but we interpret the movie. And I think that's what the movie's... Well, fair. maybe that's not what Will Smith and Ronaldo Green wanted it to be, but I think that's what that scene can be read as very easily. Either one of those. Not what Richard says and Richard thinks. Exactly. And I think part of the problem for me as a viewer anyway was there's a pattern of behavior, right, that this protagonist in the movie is exhibiting. And at this point when this scene is happening, we're right about halfway-ish through the movie, I think at this point, maybe slightly more. Four hours into this movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's about halfway. And... Basically, every 10 minutes, we have a scene where somebody is approaching or talking to Richard about something, and he flies off the handle. And he's just abrasive and obnoxious. So when it happens for the sixth time, and he's basically self-sabotaging by spitting in the face of this agency, you don't have to accept their offer. He literally farts in their face and then walks off and then takes the daughters and storms out of the club. The agents are just left flapping the breeze saying, what the hell just happened here? I like the scene later on, though, towards the end, before she plays the tournament against Arancha Sanchez Vicario and mm-hmm. does lose, Rocky-esque. Rich Sommer, hasn't been in many movies, by the way, but he's the guy from Mad Men. Yes. Right? I forget his name, but he's in Mad Men. And he presents Nike's offer of $3 million as a sponsor, which would change yes. their lives, which is what Rick Macy is saying. And I turned to the two of you and I said, this time, I'm with the Williamses, Richard and he's really letting Venus say her own piece anyway, but I'm with them this time because she hasn't even played yet. They have this much faith that she's going to be really good, if not great. So $3 million is awesome and life-changing money, but that's without seeing her actually play anybody, let alone pros and great players like Picario. So if she does well, as she does against them, the movie says in the end credits, she got a $12 million deal from Reebok. Yeah. And also Richard's wearing a Reebok jacket, by the way, when he finally comes down to sit <laughs> and actually watch rather than it's not, I can't look. Well, maybe it's sort of that, but it's more, I don't need to look because I can hear the ball. But when he comes down to sit down, when she does lose to Arancha, Arancha, he's wearing a Reebok jacket. Maybe that's just a hint. I don't know. But I was with them this time because either you're wrong and she's not going to make it because she's not good enough. She hasn't really played a real game in a long time. Right. Then you could say, why didn't you take the money? But they bet on themselves, if you will, like in Jerry Maguire. You bet on me like I bet on you. And then, of course, Cuba ends up getting a big deal at the end of that season, which is good because he's not going to last much longer with all of his concussions (laughs) in that movie. But I was with him on this one. I think it made sense because if she does play as well as she ended up playing, and again, we know what really happens in her life. I didn't know this tournament, but we know that the Williamses end up being superstars. Then, of course, it was the right move. Yeah, I think your interpretation of that decision is going to be largely dependent on your own personality as much as anything else. Because for me... I tend to be a fairly risk-averse person. I am too. Now, granted, one of the things that this movie does in that moment, which was a bit of a nice moment for Richard specifically, maybe the only time in the movie I think this ever happens is rather than just be the blustering, blowhard, I'm always right regardless kind of personality, he actually this time says, why are you pitching it to me, Mr. Nike? Sell her. Sell Venus. After the pitch, he leaves the room and they talk amongst themselves. And then Richard enforces his perspective and will again. But at least Venus was actually brought into the decision. And one of the reasons that was nice was because up until that point, 
she basically didn't have any decisions that she could make for herself. She is 14 at this point. She's 11 she through a lot of the early part of the film. So it does make more sense that he would be telling them what to do when they're that young, 11 and 10 years old. Yeah, but Venus tells her father because her coaches want them to play junior tournaments. Richard doesn't want them to play because he's afraid that they're going to follow the Jennifer Capriati path of burnout at a young age. So he says, no, no tournaments until they turn pro. And at various points, you see Venus begging with her father or the coach, I just want to play a tournament. I want to play a tournament. I want to play a tournament. And he just doesn't entertain the notion at all. And I think one of the things that I struggled with from that decision perspective is you have to be the adult. Children don't necessarily always know what the best thing for them is in all Mm -hmm. circumstances. But at the same time, you've got a young athlete that is trying to grow and trying to pursue a dream. And she just wants to play some tournaments. And seems very mature. Seems very mature, again, as the movie portrays Those three languages. That's what they've been doing in Florida rather than actually... Okay. And the movie does say that. So I guess that's the idea is that all four girls, not the oldest because she went off to do her own thing in high school. High school or I guess college, actually. College, yeah. They're all doing things beyond why they're there, which is for Venus and Serena to be tennis greats. Yeah. You can't blame Ned Flanders for being upset about that because he's paying the freight. But the idea is I'll get 15% of your winnings long term, which isn't really that much considering how much he's going to train them and be their well, coach. Given how much they ended up winning, it probably was a fair... Oh, it literally is that much. I mean, it's not that much of a percentage considering oh, right. yes. how much value he's providing. Plus, he's putting them up in this nice house. Free Everything's food, paid for. Yeah. They don't pay for anything. And as it turns out, for years... Now, he doesn't know it's going to be like that when he signs the deal. Rick doesn't. Rick and Richard. But he doesn't really object as much as he maybe should have. And exactly. also, you said that Venus is on her father. I didn't think that she was as much as she maybe should have been. Again, she's so nice. Daddy, I want to play in a tournament. It's not like Will Smith is Nicholson or Pacino. No, my daughter will never play in that tournament. Yeah. He's not yelling and screaming. Will Smith isn't really a yelling, screaming kind of actor. I wouldn't say it's that. Maybe that's where you saw him. I didn't see it that way. I thought that he was being tough, but relatively low-key and quiet about being a dick. When dealing with the daughters, Yes. I would agree with but that. But he wasn't yelling and screaming at those guys either, the various coaches. He, he argues with Paul, Tony Goldwyn, a lot, but it's never yelling and screaming. No, but you don't have to yell and scream necessarily to be an abrasive ass about something, right? Oh, because, I agree with that. And incidentally, I do agree with your point about Venus not arguing as much as you would expect a girl of her age and her position to argue. Work this, work this, work this, work this, work this your whole life. But I had a plan before you were born, but stop working it. Yeah, but don't actually play a meaningful yeah, match. Right. Yeah, so I agree with you. I would have expected her to, to argue more, but he's abrasive and obnoxious in the way that somebody with a righteous sense of I'm always right True. is. And maybe part of the reason I dislike this portrayal of the person, I don't mean I dislike Will Smith's performance, but rather the character, okay. is because this is the kind of attitude that I think we just see in the world a lot right now. More than anything else, he is unwilling to waver from this course that he set for his daughters 15 years ago. And it doesn't matter what new information comes his way, what new input comes his way from the coaches. He has right. a path that he has decided is the correct one, and nothing will sway him from that. And that's just not a healthy attitude in any walk of life to have. That's true. You should, as a human being, be able to adapt to new information. And I think in recent years, we've seen that more than ever, that people just become entrenched in a position and it really doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. Facts don't matter. This is my position and I will never waver from it. So that just irritated me. Let's say one of them or both of them, as they got to be 10 and then 12 and then up to 14, didn't want it anymore. What do you think he would have done? It would shock me if one of the two sisters at various points didn't feel that way, which isn't to say that I'm done with tennis, but you know what it's like when you're at 10, 11, 12 or hormones, hormones, right? This movie does not give us any real sense of what their lives are like, the family, generally, away from tennis. 
it implies certain things happening, right? We hear a little bit about the eldest daughter being valedictorian. Richard tells us that Venus speaks four languages almost fluently. They have these lives going on, but we never see any of it. So how much time is spent in school? How much time is spent socializing versus how much time is spent practicing? Are they homeschooled? Because I thought I read that, that they were homeschooled. I thought the opposite. The movie doesn't really give us a good sense of this, but Richard repeatedly tells people, the coaches specifically, that he wants his daughters to have childhoods, and that's why he doesn't want them to have And that's admirable. It is. But show us what their lives were like, because they did, at least Venus, had a little bit of a run in junior tennis where she just sort of dominated her age bracket. Undefeated, right? Undefeated. 63-0, and 0, I think they said. Which actually becomes important at the climax of the movie when she loses, because that is legitimately the first time she's ever lost a match. But anyway, show us what their lives are like. Show us what it means for them to have been pulled out of junior tennis and experiencing a childhood of some kind. Different state? Different state. Nice weather still, but a whole different part of the country. That is something that Bev pointed out when we were watching the movie, is you've got five teenage girls again. Mm -hmm. Leave my friends, potential boyfriends for the older girls. Fine, great, let's go. They're all smiling. Oh, actually, I guess Tundi stayed behind. But nonetheless, four girls perfectly happy to up sticks and move to Florida. The irony is that one of the opponents for Best Picture, Belfast, which Bev and I watched a few days before we saw King Richard, is that that movie is Well, not all, but so much of the focus, and we're going to criticize this in our Oscars preview show, she and I will, that the kid determines that they don't leave a place that's dealing with terrorism and bombing and danger everywhere, because I don't want to leave Belfast. And he's, I don't know, 10 or something like that. He is telling this family what they're going to do. But in this case, the father's doing all the decisions, but they're never whining like this kid does. The kid whines for dumb reasons, but they don't at all, and they'd have more right to than he does. But one of the things I was thinking about, because it's a biopic, You're constrained when you make one of those. What happened in real life is what happened in real life. And if you're making this style of movie, you're trying to adhere as closely as possible to real life events, at least in broad strokes. So you can't have the same coerced dramatic arc that you can have in a fictional movie where you make things seem high stakes. So where does the interest in a movie like this come from for me? And I'm thinking about movies that I really liked of this vein. Walk the Line was really good. I mean, I thought about Ali a little bit and what I liked and didn't like about that. And I think a lot of the interest has to come from the characters and their relationships and their personal struggles. This movie doesn't have basically any of those. So the girls are happy-go-lucky all the time. And Orsine and Richard, they have their difficulties. She says the marriage wouldn't be continuing were not for the girls. Yes. Give us some interpersonal conflict. You've already talked about the Oscar scene where they do have that one big blowout fight. She's very good in that scene. She is very good. That just makes me want a little bit more interpersonal conflict, a little bit more of what I would argue would be, frankly, realism. They don't really battle about the girls ever until that moment. What happens over and over, though, is Brandy will make these offhanded comments. And you're right, she explicitly says, I would have left you if not for the girls in that one scene. But throughout the movie, she'll say, if not for my faith, I would do this. Or if not for my faith, I would do that. So just, again, implying that he is doing things over and over and over that make her angry that she doesn't agree with. He tries to, like, drive away from the girls, drops them off at a convenience store in Compton, ditch them three teach miles from home to teach mm-hmm. at home. And, and she's furious. Okay, right. They do battle then. That's right. feels like the entirety of the movie was so sanitized that these pockets of conflict. Okay, so this exists in a family. Show me that. And it should have encompassed the girls more because they're moving away from their friends and they're giving up everything they hold dear. They have siblings that are these rising stars that are getting a ton of attention focused mm-hmm. on them. And frankly, if you have any siblings, even if you care about them and you feel like they're getting all the attention and you're not, there's going to be conflict there. The parents are pretty fair, it seems, about that and not treating Venus and Serena as super special. But the shoe contract, nobody's offering that to Isha or to Tundi. 
Right. And why would they, of course? But then it would be a more matter of, okay, you guys have done your best as our parents to treat us fair and all five of us are equal, but he's not. And again, I understand a teenager thinking that way. Of course, that's irrational, but that's a teenager for you. The neighbor across the street, when they're still in Compton. Right. We see her, I think, in two scenes. The first scene, which was actually kind of funny because she calls out Richard's short shorts. Get yourself some real pants. He's almost always wearing shorts in this film. She calls them booty shorts. Yeah, it's true. He does wear them a lot. But Richard confronts her and says, don't talk to my daughters. And then later in the movie, after the police are called because of child abuse concerns on the Williamses, Brandy goes and says, I've never come over here before. Don't make me come back again. So there's clearly longstanding friction with this neighbor, presumably about the neighbor's concerns with the way the Williamses are raising their daughters. But we don't get a great sense of that, except for one offhanded comment that they've been out practicing tennis in the rain. Which in and of itself is weird, but not abusive. But then that brings me back again to show us more of the girls' real lives. Because as I understand it anyway, at this point in their lives, before they moved to Florida at least, they were still in school. So they would be taken to practice by Richard for a couple hours before school. They would go to school and then they would practice tennis after school, basically until they couldn't anymore because it got too dark to do so. So if you're a father of a 10, 11-year-old girl at this point and you're having them basically start pre-dawn, like 5.36 in the morning keep going until 7, 8, 9 and he's got two jobs. And he's got two jobs. So you can understand at that point why people watching that would be concerned for the well-being of these children because they're basically being driven 16 solid hours a day, which is maybe not that healthy, but we don't really get a good sense of Especially that. Especially at 11 and 10 years old and surely for many years before. Maybe Richard's like Trump. He's going insane because he's not sleeping. When is he ever going to sleep? He can't. He has so many things to do. He's really three jobs because training them is a whole job. Yeah, that's right. And you did say at one point you feel an immediate sympathy and kinship for this guy as a fellow night shift worker when he goes to his security gig. Sometimes you have to do things when you're not really fully rested, even close to it, because most people do things during the day. I don't very often do things at 11 or noon when I'm working night shifts, but maybe by two o'clock I might. Yeah, when does he sleep? We never see it. Well, it says online he has two jobs. Maybe the second one was a weekend thing. And then the night shift security job is just weekdays. That could be what it is. That's still two jobs. But even if it's just the night shift job, when is he sleeping? Because he's basically with his daughters or hustling on behalf of his daughters right? all the day. The movie is all about him hustling these people that are just blowing him off. The movie doesn't make it clear they're doing it because he's a black guy and obviously has black daughters. You could read into that if you want to. But he's also a nobody. This isn't just about race. It's more a matter of this is an elitist sport. Yeah. Have you got a great trainer for these daughters you say are so good? And they're probably not watching the tape. Some of them watch the tape. I think Kevin Dunn's character does. So that's part of the problem, too, is that he's expecting so much. But that also plays back to the George comment, Dylan McDermott. This is incredible. Because of all these limitations and because you had to work so hard to even get them noticed, you're being racist. I don't think he was. I don't think he was either. And he's going to all these people. He's a nobody in the tennis world. He's not offering them anything, right? So it's, you famous coach, train my daughters because they're great, but do it for free. Keeping in mind at this point, this is not 14-year-old Venus who's on the cusp of professional stardom. This is 10 and 11-year-old Serena and Venus who still have three, four years at least before they can expect to start turning pro and make any money for themselves or for any potential coach. So he's going up to people and he's asking them to take a three to four-year leap of faith on training these girls for free. (laughs) And like you said about Macy, when he finally does take these girls on for a number of years, 
That's a long time to invest. And in Macy's case, he's literally investing in them because, like you said, he's giving all these freebies. Housing, hydro, food, clothes, yeah, but even gas if, money. Even if that wasn't the case and they stuck locally in Compton and mm-hmm. had a coach in the California area that was just giving up their time for three years. That's so a lot of money. The coaching sessions that these girls are undergoing are not like, okay, here's an hour of coaching. Paul Cohen, at one point, they're in the middle of a session. He says, we still got two hours to go. So the implication being that these coaching sessions are two, three, four hours Mm -hmm. long at a stretch. So if you're a tennis coach and you take these girls on, especially two of them, that's, what, three to four hours a day that you're dedicating to this tennis player for free that you're not otherwise making money to support yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's not a small ask. You can understand why anybody would struggle to get a coach, but I don't know if it's the movie wanting us to understand that Richard's struggling so much because, at least in part, quasi-racist culture around the sport, or whether he's just struggling because of how much he's asking of people, but in his mind, because of his own experiences, he's interpreting a lot of these rejections as Mm. being a result of his race. Happened to him when he was young, for one thing. Yes. And every black person does, probably, at some point or another. Most, I'm sure, at least do face that. It's not said, but I can understand how a coach would also say they're great, or even just she, meaning Venus is great. But I've got to deal with racist people in this part of the world, North America. Every part of the world is racist, I guess. But i got to try to get them noticed for tournaments and get them to succeed and then have to go to Atlanta for a tournament. And they're at the hotel like we see in Glory Road, and somebody breaks in and destroys the place and writes racial slurs all over the place. That's Do right. I want to deal with that as their coach? Should she or they have to deal with this as a young person? That's never said, but that could be a factor in the movie too. And that gives them more credibility that they rose above all that, like Tiger Woods in golf. Extraordinary mm-hmm. talents, but it wasn't a level playing field for any of the three of them. And maybe that, as much as anything else, is what makes Richard such a frustrating protagonist to follow. Because if you understand that to be true as a viewer, that just innately, especially 30 years ago, we're not saying it's a level playing field in 2022 for a visible minority to work their way through some of these sports. And in the early 90s, it certainly wouldn't have been the case. So to see Richard self-destruct and self-sabotage, already understanding that they've overcome all these hurdles, credit to him that he's had the force of will to do that. And And Brandy, too. And Brandy, too. This is the guy we're meant to have as a protagonist, and we're meant to be rooting for through the movie. And I found it such a frustrating experience. And one thing we haven't really touched on all that deeply, how the movie wraps itself up, the match between Venus and Arantxa Sanchez. And she loses, but then when she leaves, mostly black people, some white are there to stay behind and applaud her and hug her and all that kind of thing, and the family leaves. But her just playing, getting anywhere near that far, she already succeeded. Yeah. It didn't matter if she won. It felt like a very anticlimactic ending to the movie. And I think part of what made it feel that way is it was a very long final sequence, that game, right? We see Venus go out on top, Arantxa goes into the bathroom and Mm -hmm. ISIS her out for 10 or 15 minutes, and then the match continues, and Arantxa eventually dominates and wins. Okay, you're playing the number one ranked player in the world. You haven't played a tournament at all, junior or professional, since you're like 11 years old. You're 14 now. You won your first professional match in the same tournament. That is a grand success. And you already said she's turned down the contract offer from Nike. But the fact that she played a professional match and won means even if she gets crushed in her second match, somebody's going to come back to her with an offer that's at least comparable, probably a lot more. You know, Reebok eventually did. So the stakes for that final match... There weren't any. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be either. Frankly, they'd already succeeded, and you knew, given that Nike had offered them $3 million up front, that win, lose, or draw, they were going to be fine going forward, even if you didn't know that Serena and Venus became superstars down the line. In real life, yeah. 
if we were watching this movie from Venus's perspective and not Richard's, you could be in her headspace with her as she's struggling to understand what it meant to be in a professional competitive landscape versus just practicing all the time. And okay, well, I'm beating the world number one. Now I'm facing adversity and just trying to sort of come to grips with what all of this means for a young woman versus watching Richard accost people in the alleys of the stadium saying, that's my daughter. She has an open stance. I taught her to do mm-hmm. that. I'm like, well, you're just being annoying to people that are trying to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. now. Richard, leave them alone. Deserve credit. But you shouldn't get as much as you think you should. So we think the depiction's quite good. I think we agree with that, right? One of the better depictions we've seen. Tennis itself? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was pretty Mm -hmm. solid. I think there are some stunt doubles going on here, some sport doubles. But a lot of the time, the young actresses have to, and the other actresses playing the other characters, have to actually play tennis, and they seem to do it quite well. Yep. As far as the score factor, no, sir. Not a bit. No, none. Although Richard does say... He has scored a lot in his movie. In his life, I mean, but not in the movie. (laughs) And he does comment on his wife's nursing shoes at one point. Mm. And we do get some Will Smith and booty shorts, so you can't totally discount that. Oh, movie's that, yeah. Even though he needs a shave. But nonetheless, the two of them as actors, Andrew Ellis and Will Smith, they do have good chemistry together. I think in a different movie, the two of them working together would be really gripping. Yeah. So I think for a score, I'll be generous and say a little more than half, 5.5 out of 10, because I liked it a little bit more than you, but I think it's going to be quite a bit lower. No, I was going to go right down the middle. I was aiming for a five because the sport itself, which is why we're watching this to begin with for this podcast, was very well done. The performances of the two young actors playing Venus and Serena, I can't fault them. I thought for what they were given and asked to do in this movie, I thought they were quite Mm -hmm. good. Andrew Ellis, quite good in a fairly limited ask for the most part through this movie. Will Smith seems to capture Richard Williams, but I don't really know. I've said not my favorite performance by Will Smith, certainly, but I have a very high expectation for him. Generally. The odds are pretty good to be Academy Award winner Will Smith in, yeah. what's it going to be, 10 days? And like, spoiler alert, when Bev and I do our Oscars preview show in four days, we're not going to be very kind to a lot of the movies that are up against this one for Best Picture. Really? I don't think it was a very good year for movies at all. I know that the older you get, the crankier old man-esque I become. I'm not, though. Before the pandemic, 2018, 2019 were excellent years for films. Not Mm. so much for some of the Academy Award winners, but just films in general. Excellent. 2020 was quite good, considering. But this past year, or at least the ones they're recognizing at this show, nope. Do you think that is a result of studios cutting back on productions and budgets? Probably partly, yeah. And yeah. releases and stuff. And they save some of their big movies from the 2020 time frame. Like West Side Story should have come out in December 2020. Instead, it was December 2021. But nobody went to see that. Yeah. Not many people went to see this. Although HBO Max might have done well. We never know these things with the people that could see it for free. It's odd. You would feel that... If you're a production studio and you're trying to maximize the profits... Make the movies available to be seen. Yeah. In a challenging environment, license it to as many streaming services as you possibly can when you can Some have done that. And King Richard actually Mm -hmm. is one, and West Side Story is another. Oh, one more thing, by the way. John Bernthal. We've covered him three times now. Ford versus Ferrari, which I think we did last year. Yes. He's pretty good in that. Is Lee Iacocca. And that silent performance in the Peanut Butter Falcon in the flashback scenes where he plays Shia LaBeouf's brother, which I thought was excellent. So in the past year, he and Will Smith, so many sports films. You call them Ned Flanders once or twice. He doesn't have that much interesting stuff to do. He's a very nice, likable guy. He's not the most challenging role. Awful haircut in this movie, though. That is true to life. We Mm -hmm. saw pictures of the real Macy dude. Fairly accurate, yeah. (laughs) Okay, in two weeks, we will be celebrating a momentous occasion for any podcast, episode number 100. And credit to Chris for thinking of this. We'll go back to the beginning. Our first ever episode was The Mighty Ducks. Well, for number 100, we'll cover its sequel, D2, The Mighty Ducks. This will also be the first time we've covered a hockey movie in a very long time. 
What's the last one we did? Was it Miracle? Might have been Mystery Alaska, the one you hated. Oh, I really did. Also on Disney Plus, as is well all the Mighty Ducks films. So we're on Twitter. I'm at moviefiend51. Chris is at scoring at movies. You can email us scoring at the movies at gmail.com. The website is scoring at the movies podbean.com, right? I think so, yeah. If you want to do it that way. And you can just disagree with us about <laughs> King Richard all you like. Please tweet us. What's wrong with you? This movie's awesome. I like the exasperated okay. sigh. <sighs> this should have been better. It really should have. So take her easy, Richard. Your daughters are going to be all right. Something tells me Richard is not going to be taking it easy. He never could take her easy. It's true.